this morning we are going to be, I'd like you to grab a Bible and open up to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is where we will be uh, eventually. We're going to start and do a little work in Hebrews, but we'll get to Ephesians 5 uh, at some point. So we've been in this series, this Who We Are series, looking at um, who we are, what we believe, what we are striving to be as a community. And the thing we've been using uh, as to kind of start this study that's going to go beyond once we finish this document, but it's a document we refer to as the Church Covenant, uh, a document that was written to give direction and encouragement for what the community of CF can look like, what it is that we are striving to be, what the members of this church, uh, the people that call this place home, what it is that we are striving to see this place become and be. And so throughout the all of the elements that we have looked at so far, grace and baptism and um, all of these things, uh, we keep coming back to unity and love and grace. These are the driving factors that make this place, that make church community work. Without those things, we are nothing more than a social club hanging out at a weird time of the week. So last week we looked at a series of promises that we commit to as members of the church that revolve around being physically present together and uh, when we are physically present together, seeking to build one another up and strengthen the bonds within this community. And so today we're going to continue with that idea focused around a word that tends to make people a little uncomfortable, a little uneasy. That word is submit. Yeah, it's the scary S word that churches talk about. Submit husbands, love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. Submit one to another. There's, it's this word that too many people think is antiquated, it's unnecessary, it's oppressive. It's this way of controlling people. It's a, it gives the elders of a church or bosses or spouses or parents, however you want to use it, it gives them just this blank check to be domineering and to control people. But what if it's not that? What if this idea of submitting one to another is actually a blessing? So this morning, like I said, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 5.21 is the verse, it's kind of our anchor, it's kind of the one we're going to hold on to, and it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. God has instructed us to submit one to another. What if that command isn't meant to hurt or divide or oppress, but instead it is meant to see us thrive in community? to point us to the abundant life that God has called us to. If we believe that God is good and he only gives us good things, then when we are talking about submitting to one another, there is a reason and there is a benefit for you and for me. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we will jump in and get to work. So please uh, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for this chance to be together and to worship together and uh, just enjoy each other and enjoy this community you have given to us. God, we come to you today looking for hope and grace and rest and peace and wisdom. We're looking for stability. We're looking for more of you in us. The Psalms say that you will set our feet on a rock, that you will make our steps secure, that you will be a place of rest and refuge. God, we delight in you and in your work. You do not restrain your mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness from us. You are our help and our deliverer. You give all of yourself to all of us all of the time. God, we come here for any number of different 
reasons, having a number of different kinds of mornings, days, weeks. And we come looking for you. And you tell us that if we come looking, you're going to show up. If we knock, you will answer the door. God, we are looking, we are knocking, we are seeking. We want to hear from you this morning. God, give us the ability to hear from you because we know you are always speaking. We know you are always revealing yourself. And so, God, we ask that you would give us clarity. Help us to push aside the distractions so that we can hear clearly from you. And then give us the boldness and the confidence to respond to what it is you would have us to do. God, we thank you for all that you are, all that you've been doing in our midst, all that you continue to do and will do in our midst. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to read through uh, the church covenant uh, this morning, and then we'll jump in and talk about the section we're going to talk about. So. Uh, this says that we recognize God's grace in saving us and express our gratitude for Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the Spirit's work in our hearts. We recognize God's will in bringing us together and uniting us into one congregation as partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We affirm our covenant with God and each other to grow in becoming like Christ and proclaiming Christ. By God's grace, we strive to live according to our baptism, considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, and walking by the Spirit in newness of the resurrected life. We will not neglect to meet together. We will love one another in deed and in truth. We will use the Spirit's gifts for the common good. We will give cheerfully and generously. We will pray together and for one another. We will submit to one another and to the leadership of the church as it is pleasing to the Lord. We request to be accountable in our pursuit of biblical discipleship and welcome exhortation to repent of sin and align ourselves with the gospel. We understand that unrepentant and persistent sin grieves the Lord and will lead to the exclusion from this congregation. If we leave this congregation, we will do so for biblical reasons and in timely and honest communication with the elders and members of the church. We will support this congregation in the ministry of advancing the gospel in our community and the world as the Spirit leads and Scripture commands. We will uphold this church's doctrines, practices, values, and goals. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about that section of submission. We'll submit to one another and to the leadership of the church as it is pleasing to the Lord. So I'm sure, even with what I've already laid out, when it comes to submission, at our core, we just don't like it. I mean... We don't like the idea of having to submit to any, really, authority outside of ourselves, our thoughts, our wants, our desires. It's been that way since the garden, since Adam and Eve. They didn't submit to the law of God and so caused sin to enter the world. We don't like to be told what to do and what not to do. It's our default wiring. Rebels and enemies against the authority of God. It's who we are. At the same time, though, we like the idea of God as king. Right? We like it at least in certain ways. We like the provision and the presence and the protection. We like the redemption that he offers. Basically, we love the stuff. We love the, the results of God as king. We want him to provide for us eternal life and future and hope and grace and mercy. We, but at the same time, we want to be able to draw a line that says we want to control how much control God has over us. You see, there's so much more to the sovereignty of God than just that. Because 
if Jesus is going to be not only your Savior, but your Lord, that means we submit to the total authority of Jesus as Lord and King. Not just God be the King of my eternal life, but God be my be the King of my entire life. When we pray things like the Lord's Prayer and there's that line, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are declaring submission to God in all aspects of our lives here and now. So that means we are praying and it's, God, you are the king of my finances. You are the king of my time, my mind, my tongue, my relationships, my sexuality, my gender, my identity, my work, my studies in school, my role as a spouse, my role as a relative, my role as a church member, how I live. God, I submit those things to you. Because God is king, and kings don't have checks and balances. They don't have others that they have to get their decrees passed through. The king's authority is ultimate. And when we begin to do that, when we begin to say, okay, God, I want you to be king over my life, usually what starts to happen is we start to fight against that. We start to consider that, and then all of a sudden we want to pump the brakes a little bit and say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that I do want you to be king over everything. I want him to save me, yes, but I'm not here for him to control the rest of my life. I don't want to submit and give up. I think part of our hesitancy beyond our own sinful flesh, beyond our, just the, the default wiring that says we need to rebel against this idea, I think the part of the hesitancy when it comes to this idea of submitting is a faulty view of what it means to submit, what that actually looks like in the Bible. The word itself is a military term. It means to come under in rank. In the military, there are ranks, right? General, captain, private, all of those things. There's an order. There's a, there are levels of responsibility and leadership, and it has to do with order and structure. It's the same thing in the church. It's the same thing in creation. Our God is a God of order and structure, not chaos. And so when it comes to the church, God has given us an order and structure. He has laid out for us to flourish. But submission is not forced. It is not this mandate. It can't be a forced thing. There has to be a willingness to it, a, a willing sub, submission there. Because it's an intentional decision to set aside your own preferences and let someone else take the lead. William Barclay says that being subject to submitting, uh, he uses the phrase voluntary selflessness. It is based on the death of pride and the desire to serve. It's a voluntary act of humility. It's not about one specific action, but more of a mindset, a way of viewing the relationship. Because not only are you voluntarily setting yourself under another person's leadership or lead and trusting that person, but you are also trusting the system that called you to do it in the first place. And so we read this instruction in God's word, right? Ephesians 5.21, submit one to another. It comes from God. It is God's system. And so what do we know about God? Well, if we take what we know about who God is, how he has revealed himself in scripture, that he is righteous, he's just and gracious and merciful and holy and kind and on and on we could go. Then we know that the things he gives us, whether they are blessings or commands, have bound up in them elements of who he is. So if he is instructing us to submit one to another or under leadership or within a relationship, our good God has a reason, plan, and purpose for it. Also, when it comes to submission, it's not about ability or impressiveness. It's not that one person is better than another, but rather when we talk about submission in the church, the in the church context, it's about order and structure. In the military, it's not that the, the general is better than the private. 
The private submits to the general, not because the general is so much smarter, so much greater, but because he is the general. Because that's the order and structure that he works in. It's not that one person is better than another. God has called and established different roles and systems in the church so that it functions in the best way possible, both organizationally and relationally. All of which functions in order to glorify God, proclaim the gospel, and see disciples of God be made and flourish. So in uh, our church covenant, there are two different forms of submitting mentioned in our church covenant. We have submit to leadership, it says, and then also submit to one to another. So we're going to focus first on the leadership aspect, and then we'll come back to the one to another. So when we talk about submitting to leadership, biblically speaking, in this church, we're talking about elders. Right? At CF, our elders are men who serve in one-year terms. They are voted on by the membership of our church. Currently, we have two elders and myself. The term elder is synonymous with shepherd, overseer, pastor. If you see those words in the Bible, they're all, ta- all those words are talking about the same role. Leaders of the church body. The elder's role is to act as a stand-in to shepherd God's sheep. We are assistants to the good shepherd. He doesn't actually need us, but he invites us to be part of what he is doing. And so what do shepherds do? There are three kind of big ideas of what shepherds do. They feed, they lead, and they protect. Elders feed the sheep. Primarily, that's teaching and instructing in God's word. Whether that's a sermon, that's a small group, that's a one-on-one conversation. Elders are men who have the ability to communicate God's word clearly in a way to help others understand, respond, and apply it to their lives. So elders feed the sheep. Elders also lead by prayerfully making decisions together as a group that will benefit, grow, and strengthen the church body. How money is spent, what we are focusing on in, in preaching, what activities and events and initiatives are we going to invest in as a community. It's setting a course for the sheep to travel that will be best for them. So elders feed and elders lead the sheep. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The writer of Hebrews encourages uh, the people to submit to the leadership of the elders because God has appointed them to watch over your soul. They have a responsibility and will give an account one day to God himself for the way they carried out the role of elder. As the great Stan Lee once wrote, with great power comes great responsibility. It's why the qualifications of the elder laid out in 1 Timothy and Titus are so important to consider when appointing elders. You can't be quick. You can't just throw anybody into that role. There's, uh, there's certain qualifications that are repeated in the Bible because it's an important role. It's a weighty role. They are responsible for leading you into good, safe, helpful places. They are to be men who are actively pursuing, growing, and maturing in their own Christian faith. The idea of submitting to the elders does not give the elders, though, a blank moral check to do and say whatever they want. As it says in Hebrews 13, the elders will give an account for how they serve. One day they will stand before Christ and have to answer to him in the way they stepped into this role God appointed for them. And in the now, before that day comes, if the leadership, I'll say this, if the leadership of this church is using their position of authority to abuse or belittle someone, If they are somehow taking advantage of others, I implore you, please speak up and bring it to them. Bring it to another elder. Bring it to me. Or you can bring it to the Great Lakes District leadership in the EFCA. There is a structure in place within our denomination. You are not alone in this. If something bad is happening, 
when you feel like there are abuses happening, speak up and bring it to light. Because elders are to be men of high quality and character. We are not perfect here. There are things we will make mistakes, and there are differences between mistakes and abuses, right? We have to be able to talk about those things. But elders are to be men of high quality and character. We are not perfect, but we are trying to serve willingly, humbly, out of reverence to God. When the elders are living into the qualifications laid out in Scripture and leading as best they should to the best of their abilities and by God's grace, then hopefully the idea would be that the submitting, the falling under, the bringing order to the chaos should hopefully come easier for the church body as a result. And that goes both ways. When the leaders are leading well, it makes it easier to follow. And when the people are united and following and trusting the elders, it makes it easier to lead. It's kind of like when you're driving, you've got two cars going to sit in place. The car driving, the car leading, can't be swerving all over the place and cutting people off and making turns without their blinker because the person back here has got to follow and know where they're going, right? Same thing, the person back here needs to kind of stay connected to the car in front. They gotta, if they get too far away, it doesn't matter what the leader's doing because this person's not going to be able to see them, right? It works both ways. And I like how the writer of Hebrew ends the verse. He says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Being an elder is not always easy. It is not always the most fun job in the world. The lows are really low. But let me tell you, man, the highs are mountaintop, peaceful, glorious highs, where we get to step in and see people growing and thriving in their faith. When the people of God are pursuing harmony and unity and submitting to one another and to the leadership, it gives life and joy in the community itself. But again, I want you to hear me. This is not... Be quiet and go along and just make it easier for everybody. Don't ever point out any negatives. Don't ever point out any mistakes. It's not that the elders are untouchables. But rather, when we are all seeking the same things, when we are all together seeking unity among believers, glorification of God, when we are all striving to be growing and becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ, both the leading and the following makes more sense. And I said the elders have three main jobs, to feed, to lead, and to protect. Protecting the sheep. Giving them sound biblical teaching is one way. Leading them in a way that is clear and focused on God, that's another way to protect. It also means you are actively, for those who are actively pursuing sin and rebellion and unrepentant about those things, there are consequences. Right? We sin. Even the Christian, saved by grace, redeemed, loved, accepted in the family of God, you will still sin. But there is a difference between actively, habitually pursuing sin with no regard or acknowledgement of wrongdoing and the Christian who is grieved by their sin, desires to be free of that sin, and is actively striving to remove the weeds of sin from their life, right? It's a mindset difference. We're going to stick with the car and driving thing. It's the person who doesn't care about street signs and says, you know, one way going this way, and you pull that way intentionally, and you don't care if you hit somebody, you don't care what's happening, you're just trying to get across that street. Or the person who's not really paying attention, and you accidentally turn, and you start driving down the one-way street the wrong way, and everybody's looking at you funny, and making, making weird faces, and you get halfway down the block before you realize what you did, and then you have to awkwardly try and find a way to get off of this street. Both are bad, neither is good, but the heart behind it is different. For the person who is actively pursuing rebellion and sin, even when confronted by other Christians or the elders, that person, if they are actively pursuing that unrepentant, that will lead to that person being removed from membership. Why? 
not because they aren't good enough people, but rather in a hope that they would see that their sin has consequences to pro- and to protect other weaker Christians from being led into darkness and to protect the body as a whole because, as I said, our members have a voice in the leadership of this church. And so if we have somebody that is actively pursuing sin, trying to destroy the community, we're not going to have them have a voice to be able to speak into the way this church runs. The discipline side of eldership, that's a, that's a, different, that's a whole other different sermon for a different day. But I will say that if those situations come up, our elders are not going to run from those things. If we need to, we will address it. We will deal with it. But honestly, we continuously pray that we're never going to have to need that tool. We can leave it behind, you know, to break glass in case of emergency. Hopefully we don't ever have to break that glass. But if needed, we will do that because our elders are here to feed and lead and protect. They will protect the sheep at whatever cost they need to, including removing someone from community if needed. So these are some of the things that elders do and may have to do. And I wanted to paint a little bit of a picture for you because the church covenant says we're going to submit to leadership and you should know what it is you're submitting to. But so what are, what are ways that looks like? What does that actually mean? Submit to the leadership. Okay, how do I do that? A tangible way you could do that, it's actually listed out in this document, is that it occurs at the end of your time at CF, and it's a way that you can leave well. That's a way you can submit to the leadership. It's a way to show respect and care for those who have served and loved and led you. It's a way to leave well, but it's also a way to honor and love and even submit to other people. The church covenant says if we leave this congregation, we will do so for biblical reasons and in timely and honest communication with the elders and members of the church. I am very thankful that this is in this document because it's important. It's important to say goodbye and leave well. Right? If you leave this church, if you're a member here, if you've been here for a long time, and for whatever reason it is, you are going to another church. For you... You're going away. You get to step into new relationships, new connections. You get to serve in in new ways, and it's exciting and it's fun. We're still here. For you, it's fun and new and different. For us, it's mostly the same, but it's missing something. It's missing you. There's a gap. There's a hole. There's a missing piece, and we will move on. We will adapt over time. But as we're doing that, we're also grieving that you left. Saying goodbye in the midst of that, saying goodbye and leaving a church community well is important and vital and helps make that transition a bit easier, especially for the people who are still in the church you're leaving. Sending people out is part of what we do as a church. It's part of the vision we have to be a lighthouse in Roscoe Village, Chicago, and the world. We shine the light of the gospel, we welcome people searching for rest, and we send people out to follow the calling of God in their lives. People leave churches. It happens. It has happened here. It will happen again in the future. And as a congregation, we can either choose to let it make us angry and frustrated every time someone leaves, or we can choose to be intentional to take part in what God is doing and to not only send people, but to use the time God has given us to serve and build one another up. And so since sending is part of our DNA, we want someone who is leaving to be sent out well. And this isn't just for members. This is for regular tenders. If you call this place home and you can no longer do that, we want you to leave well. We want you to say goodbye and give us a chance to say goodbye. It helps. It helps with the grieving. It helps with the transition. Because we are part of each other's stories forever. It's one of my favorite parts, man. Being the pastor of a church that's 90-something years old, I get to, I just, I was at a wedding a week ago 
and told somebody I was a pastor of this church and proceeded to get all kinds of stories from this person used to go here and did you know this person and oh here's this member from this church and we broke this in the sanctuary and we went up here and played in here and like I get to hear these stories all of the time and it's awesome and fun and it reminds me over and over again that we are part even though people leave this church we're part of their story they're part of our story forever that continues on And so by you leaving well, it is a way to say, look, I acknowledge and understand that the church will take time to adjust to this. I want to be part of helping that happen. It's intentionally caring for the church and the church's emotions and unity. It's a way of submitting one to another. It's putting the congregation's heart ahead of your own. Submit to one another as it is pleasing to the Lord. I told you to go to Ephesians 5 like 20 minutes ago. Ephesians 5 lays out in verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. Beloved children, walk in love. And when you do that, you do that following the example of Christ sacrificing himself for that. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he reminds them of the gospel importance over and over in this letter. And he calls them to unity among one another. Reminds them of the new life they have been given by grace through faith. And in light of all of that, he says, the way to respond to the grace that you have received is to be imitators, lookalikes of God and his, as his beloved children. Just as you carry the name and family lineage of your parents, you are to do the same with your heavenly father. One of the ways to do that is to walk in love, to live a life of love. And that's agape love. That's unconditional love. That's the love that God had for us that would have him send his son to die on the cross for our sins in our place. That kind of love. Live into that. Walk into that. That sacrificial love that Christ showed, show that in how you live in this world. And so he lays out in the rest of the verses in chapter 5, he lays out what that looks like. He says things like, put off the old self. There's no more sexual immorality, impurity, greed, foolish talk, crude jokes. The way that you speak, the thoughts that you have, these things are done. That's not what the family of God is about. He says instead, be lights in the world. These are the marks of the maturing Christian, one who is identifying the things that are rebellious against God, distracting them from walking in a real relationship with God and with others, and avoiding and eliminating those things from their life. It's a process. It takes time. This is not just going to happen overnight, and it's not just going to happen even over the long haul unless you are intentional. That's what he says in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Be intentional. Look carefully at how you walk, how you live. Be intentional with what are you listening to? What are you watching? Who are you engaging with? Who are the people that influence you the most? Are they building you up towards Christ or are they distracting you from him? Don't live as the unwise, the foolish, but as someone who is wise. How do we do that? Well, number one, ask for wisdom, right? Wisdom is putting knowledge and understanding into practice. Specifically here in regards to your walk with Christ, It's things like, is it wise to watch that movie? Is it wise to spend your free time that way? Is it wise to have that person that involved in your life? This is where a lot of Christians, I think, shortchange themselves. Because they settle. They settle for, it's fine. It's not hurting anyone. I just need to decompress. I just want to shut my brain off for a while. And in doing that, 
you are keeping yourself from the fullness of life, the abundance of life that God has for you, if you will stay intentionally connected to him and paying attention to the world around you and what is feeding into you. He says, be intentional. He says, even in verse 16, he says, be intentional with your time. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. In the Bible, there are two different words for time. There is time, chronos, seconds, minutes, hours, days. And there is time, kairos, or kairos. It's intentional time, appointed time, set-apart time. Really, it's God time. Here, Paul is talking about Kairos time. Make the most of the God-appointed moments and seasons and opportunities he has given to you because the days are evil. The days are slipping. This isn't carpe diem, seize the day and do whatever you want and live into the moment, but rather seize the day for the glory of Christ because we live in a world that is dark and tired and being dominated by sin. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, and he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Yeah, the Bible doesn't speak to today's culture at all, right? Come on. When you have the moment to glorify Christ, Step in and do so because the world is unstable and people at their core are desperately seeking a sure and steady anchor to cling to. And so he says in verse 17, therefore, and when you read therefore in the Bible, you got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? In light of this call to be intentional and live wise, don't do the opposite, don't be a fool, but understand the will of the Lord, he says. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So how do we find out what's the will of God? He has revealed himself. He has revealed himself and his will in scripture. This is important. As we get to know God more, to know more of what his will looks like, we can pray accordingly, we can respond accordingly, and we have the Holy Spirit. He guides, he helps us with discernment, he prompts us Hey, respond here. Hey, pray for this person. Pray right now. Don't just give them, hey, that sounds really hard. I'll pray for you and add it to the list, maybe if I remember. Rather, in that moment, pray. This person needs some love right now. We have this direct link to God. The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us, constantly trying to lead us. If we will listen and respond, we can be in God's will more often than outside of his will. But again, it takes intentionality. And we will see evidence of this. We saw it in James 3. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. These are the marks of the person pursuing and living into the wisdom and will of God. To pursue other things, to be filled and consumed by the passions and urges of the world is a foolish and fruitless endeavor. So we have to ask, what consumes you? Paul tells the Hebrews, in verse 18 and 19, he says, Do not be drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be overwhelmed and consumed and lose your ability to reason and self-control and make good decisions. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. Be overwhelmed and consumed by the Spirit. Allow Him to guide your reasoning and strengthen you. Allow Him to give you that self-control that you need and lead you to make wise decisions. Pursue him, listen to him, actively go after him. He says in verse 19, 
that you are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You will know you are being led by the Spirit when it is the Spirit that flows out of how you are speaking to each other. When we are filled with the Spirit, we will have a desire to worship God and encourage others to worship God, just even in the way we're communicating with each other. The connection with being filled with the Spirit and praise is significant. Those who are filled with the Spirit will naturally praise God, praise Him for all of, because all of life becomes an opportunity to praise God and encourage others to do the same. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, the glorification of God becomes the vocabulary of the Christian filled with the Spirit. Creative, spontaneous worship is the norm. And when that's the case, you are making melody to the Lord with your heart. You might be like me, you might not be able to carry a tune or find the right key or play an instrument. But the Spirit-filled Christian, driven to worship God, even without any musical talent, makes a sweet symphony of worship to God when we're doing it in honesty and in truth. When we're looking for opportunities to support one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up, that is sweet worship to God. And in doing so, we begin to see a mind shift change, a mindset change and shift. And we begin to notice the world around us. And we begin to let that lead us into realizing that we have all that we have because of God. He says in verse 20, give thanks for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all from God. It is all a gift. It is a mentality shift, a mindset shift. When we begin to see all that we have, where God has planted us, who God has surrounded us with, how God has led and provided and protected, we give thanks always and for everything. And when we realize all of that, all that we have been given is a gift given to us by God. It's not out of duty that he gives to us. It's not because he has to or a way to manipulate us into loving him more. But out of the great love with which he loves us, he gives us his gifts and blessings. And when we consider all of these things together, when we are people driven by the Spirit, encouraging one another, building one another up, seeing all of life as a gift and blessing and opportunity and reason to worship God, you add all of that together, those are mature Christians actively pursuing growth together, submitting to one another. Verse 21, submit to, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we learn more and more about the will of God, more and more our hearts and minds are renewed and grown. Submission to one another, choosing to lift one another up, choosing to see each other's growth, choosing to encourage and celebrate and build one another up. That's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We want to see each other succeed. We want to celebrate. We don't get jealous. We don't get angry because this person got this thing and we wish we had it. No, we celebrate other people's wins and successes. We want what's best for the community as a whole. We begin to think about how can I serve others? How can I help? How can I build up? How can I strengthen? Not just what do I get out of it, but rather how can I give? How can I serve? How can I help be part of what is happening here? Submitting one to another is actively seeking to be a help and encouragement to one another. It's taking our eyes and minds and focus off of ourselves as the primary driving factor and motivator for our lives. And instead, what's best for the community as a whole? What's best for this place, for these people? I heard it said this week, you know, we grow up in church and we hear the phrase often, my personal walk with God, right? My personal relationship with God. And yes, there is a personal one-to-one aspect of your relationship with God. But the reality is, is that once God has saved you, 
by grace through faith. Once he has called you into the family of God, brought you into his family, it is no longer so much about your personal relationship with God, but rather our corporate communal relationship with God. Right? We are the people of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the living stones of the spiritual house of God. We are the flock under the good shepherd. We are the bride awaiting the groom. Over and over, when the Bible talks about Christians, it's far more often talking about the community as a whole rather than the individual. We're doing this together. And that's how submission works one to another. It's not about one Christian being better or greater than another, but rather it is a community of individuals seeking what is best for the community as a whole. So that we can all grow together in becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ together. Sometimes that means what you want, what is best for you, needs to be laid aside for what is best for the community. It means choosing to show up when you don't feel like it. It's getting engaged in serving to care for your brothers and sisters. It's being present in conversation, seeking out opportunities to care and love for others in that moment at that time. We do this. We submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence, out of respect, out of worship for Christ. Because we are saved by grace through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. We have been saved from the wrath of God, yes, also to be a blessing to others. And as we seek these opportunities, we humbly lay down ourselves for the growth and benefit of the community so that we might continue to proclaim Christ's goodness to the world. All of this is driven and motivated by a love, admiration, and thankfulness to the God who made you and knows you and loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. Jesus Christ submitted to the will of the Father so that you and I might be invited into the family of God where we, in turn, have the chance to submit to one another and in doing so, glorify, magnify, exalt, and declare the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is why we submit one to another, to make much of, to glorify, and out of reverence to God, our Savior and King. Let's pray. God, help us as we come this morning looking to hear from you. And it is hard sometimes to be in community. I know you made us for community. I know we thrive in community. But God, you also know it's hard for us to do it. It's a challenge at times. This idea of laying ourselves, our wants, our desires down so that we can benefit others, so that others can grow and thrive and flourish. God, nothing else in the world tells us we should do that. God, help us to pursue wisdom. Lord, we ask, you told us if we lack wisdom, we can ask for it and you will give. God, we ask that you would give us wisdom in how to best love and serve one another. How to best submit to one another. How to best encourage one another, strengthen one another, build one another up. God, I pray for our elders, the ones who serve currently and the ones who will serve in the future. God, I pray for humility and wisdom. Pray that you are developing even now in this moment men of character, men who 
Mark, you step in and lead, not for the glory, but because you have made them to do that. You have called them to, and they want to love and serve others well, to point others toward you. God, help us as a church submit to our leaders, to our elders. Help us to trust them well, to trust that they know what is best, that they themselves are prayerfully going to you, and we can trust their leaders. God, help us to submit to one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up and strengthen one another so that this church might continue to do what it has been doing for 90-something years, proclaim the glory and goodness of the gospel, welcome other people, welcome those into the family of God. Lord, help us as we engage with one another, as we engage with the world around us, to be intentional, to pay attention And when we have those moments, when we see those opportunities, those kairos moments, those appointed times, Lord, help us to step in to those things, to trust your leading, that we might be the hands and feet of the body of Christ, so that others might come to know the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus. God, we thank you and praise you. Amen.